Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the SNC podcast, a show helping you better understand the intriguing world of music, arts and entertainment through insightful conversations with African artists, creatives, executives and entrepreneurs. I am your host Fola Shade Anuzie. On this episode, we are discussing illustration. My guest is Kayode Onimole. He is an architect, self-taught illustrator, and arts director based in Lagos, Nigeria. Prior to becoming a full-time illustrator, Kayode was deputy group head at Noah's Arc Communications, a Lagos-based advertising agency. He has worked with various publishing houses in Nigeria, including Kachifo and Reader Books, to illustrate educational and entertainment books for young readers. Kayode has also worked on numerous comic books and commercials. He is the brains behind the comic cartoon strip Crasher, for which he won the Comic Connect Comics Melt's Own Choice and Critics Award for Best Web Comic. Hi, Kayode. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> is, is it morning? Is it's already it's already afternoon. Oh, wow. It's already yeah, yeah. I'm running behind. Um, I'm really happy to speak to you again. Everybody, for people who know me, I'm someone who's really passionate about the creative industry and the different. I guess the different skill sets that people have, it's it's really important that we show that it's not just about music and acting and you are an illustrator. Yes, You're actually a self-taught illustrator, right? Yes, I am. Why did you want to learn how to illustrate? Uh, well, it's something I've been passionate about since I was, I don't know, three years old. I used to draw my parents' walls with crayons, pencils. I think they wanted to save their walls, so they finally got me drawing books and got coloring books and all that. At some point, they started buying me storybooks and comic books. So I started copying the drawings I saw there. And I've been doing that ever since. And then as I grew older, I learned the guys who draw comic books and storybooks exaggerate real life. So I started learning from real life so I can make my own personal exaggerations. Interesting. So at what point did you decide on a style? Of, of illustrating because I saw something on Twitter and the guy said that as a beginner artist finding your style should be the least of your worries is that do you agree with that statement I agree with that statement 100% because I'm not even sure what my style is I vary from very cartoony to slightly cartoony but I can be realistic too but that takes forever so I try to avoid that as much as I can style is well, it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing something for kids, you have to make it something that they can appreciate. Uh, big eyes, friendly faces, stuff like that. And what does it mean to, it may be, I don't know, maybe this doesn't, maybe this is like so obvious. What does it mean to have a style? Can't you just draw and be drawing? Is it, is it important for you, for a, an illustrator to have a style? Uh, well, to be recognized, probably already have a style without even knowing it. Like people see works of, I don't know, Jim Lee, and they're like, ah, that's Jim Lee's art. It's not that it was, when he, when he started drawing, it was like, ah, I must draw Jim Lee's style. He was drawing and then that just evolved into his style. Now your background is in the sciences and architecture, and you actually practiced as an architect before you quit to become a full-time illustrator. Well, I studied architecture, yes, but while I was studying architecture, I knew at some point that architecture was not for me. I wanted to be an animator, but at that time, I don't, I don't even know if they have them now. There were no animation schools in Nigeria. 
and this was even before the time of YouTube. There was no social media where you could uh, go online and start learning by yourself. It was in the 90s. So I had no choice but either face architecture or do something related like art. And core art was not really for me because when I was younger, I was more interested in maths and drawing and architecture combined those two. And as I grew older, I found out that I prefer the drawing aspect to the calculations. So I focused that more on that. Did you, at that time, I don't know if you knew, but were there animation schools outside the country, like in SA or Kenya or other countries? Oh, I don't know about other African countries, but I knew in Canada and US, my friend actually printed a list of animation schools and their contact information. So I wrote all of them and some of them sent, sent me their catalog and I saw the costs. <laughs> Third of four children, and at that time, well, three of us were still in school and it was my dad that was paying our school fees fully. I was, well, I won't say it wasn't easy for him, but I knew if I brought <laughs> the tuition fees to him at that point, he like, probably lose his mind. Because also, when I was growing up, not that my parents discouraged me from drawing, but it just felt it's something I should do on the side and face something more... That will bring you more money. Yeah, well, not more money. More realistic. Yeah, more realistic. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the word. Then at that time, you don't really hear um, this animator did X, Y, Z. You just knew the works. You didn't know the animator. But you could hear of doctors. You could hear of um, Ghani Fayami. You could hear yeah. all those lawyers, all those popular guys. But That's very true. That's very true. So after leaving architecture, you now decided to move to advertising and marketing. Yeah. Now, I want to go back a little. You said that you were, pra- you were an architect for a while before you now became a full-time illustrator. What was the moment, the defining moment for you in your mind that said, hmm, this, I'm not really feeling this? Uh, well, at the time I was doing architecture as a profession, most of our, because we, I, was, I was working with a core architecture firm, I was working with a real estate um, company, and at the time, what they were doing was they would sell houses and then we will build them. So it was this project we ha- had uh, supposed to build, uh, I think, maybe 25 houses in an estate. And because of a global financial crisis and then some mismanagement within the company, we were not able to deliver that. And then we gave more time, but the people had already paid for the houses. So we couldn't ask them for more money because they already fully paid. And we told them that, yes, that is the amount to pay. So what we, what we were asked to do was to still have those houses for those people, but now we're going to reduce the sizes and then have more houses on the same in the same estate and then sell those houses to other people and then we use the money from the new houses to finish the houses for the first people as well as the new houses. And I was like, this is an architecture where we're reducing houses to functions, as in there's no aesthetic need. It's just, this is a room, this is a bed, this is where you bath, that's it. Any other function you're supposed to do in that space, it's greatly reduced. So you're not feeling that? I didn't feel that. Did you finish the project or you left before the project was completed? I, I left before the project was I don't know. I don't even know if the project has been finished by now. So. <laughs> the, the company went under a lot of stuff. I said, EFCC investigated us one time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I was like, ah. Wow. And then I think that's the general thing with architecture now. People are not following the strict rules we learned in school. Like, in my est- where I live now, the cutting is still money. So they are putting more buildings on, like they are putting three plot, three houses 
on a plot that's supposed to take like two houses and then they are sacrificing air movement, they are sacrificing spaces for your car. Normally, um, you're supposed to leave a percentage of your land for greenery. That's gone. People are parking on the streets. and It's just, you know, I've seen a lot of these new buildings and I'm always so concerned because, for example, like where, where I live right now, they have lots of new buildings there. And when I exercise in the morning, I have seen the progression of how the houses have been built. And in lots of them, it's like this. It's so quick. And I always so, I'm always so sad for the people that end up buying these houses because you know that there's going there not even not even there is there are going to be faults in that building if it's not leakage it's going to be the paints peeling off because the house is supposed to breathe at each step so that you know it dries out and all the has all these different things that's supposed to you know be accomplished but i don't know so you know just kind of go back to politics a little bit. Do you see that, you know, our issue is like, we keep on saying that it's our leaders, this, this, and the third. But we as Nigerians, what are we doing to make things right? I know you don't have the answer, obviously. I don't, I don't really have the answer, <laughs> but I think it's a quote from the Bible, that money answered all things, or I don't know where the quote is from. People want money. I'm not asking these questions. No, it's fine. I mean, because I want money too, but again, it's like you're putting people's lives at risk. That doesn't make any sense. But anyway, let's not, let's not dwell on that. So you left architecture and you moved to advertising yeah. and you worked in that space for almost six years. Like seven years. Now, what made you decide to leave that to now become a full-time illustrator? Because I asked that question because where you used to work was Noah's Art Communication, which is an advertising agency. And you rose to be the group head, deputy, deputy group, group head. head, right? And I want to believe that there were perks and financial incentives that came with that. Yeah. But obviously, you obviously had to weigh that and say, okay, is this really, is my passion more important than getting all this money? So if you could just talk a bit about that. Uh, while I was working at Noah's Ark, I was also doing um, my personal stuff. My, I have a cartoon strip. I had a cat, I still have it, uh, called Crasher. So um, at some point, my passion was as in, I was going years without doing anything on my passion. I was like, I need time to do my own stuff. I'm getting old. At some point, I, I don't want to look back at my life and say, ah, I had this thing since secondary school. And I just left it. I just abandoned it to face advertising. And then when I look back at advertising, what do I have? Awards, do I really like those awards? Well, you live in Nigeria, Coyote, and you know, a lot of people will say, ah, is Crasha uh, or your passion going to pay the bills? Let's be realistic here. Uh, at that point, Crasha was already successful, in my own opinion, Sha. I'd found a way of monetizing it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with value added services. When AT Salat was still in Nigeria, uh, you could download Crasha 10 naira a day onto your phone daily you can download a different strip every day and it had just started at that point and it was already already generating we already had about 20,000 subscribers and we had not even reached like a year we are like three months in and I was like I can finally face this thing fully and then leave my job but something happened after I left my job what um, happened? Yeah, it's a uh, um, okay. The Nigerian uh, NCC they clamped down on um, value-added service companies, and then they made a list of the ones that they recognized. And the one that was handling my strips was not there. And I didn't. The other people, but I didn't bother trying to because the deal I had with the people that um, were handling my whatever it was 
I think one of the best deals I could get. Uh, uh, taking um, the network takes seventy percent. They were taking fifteen, and they were giving me fifteen. The other ones wanted to pay me outright and say, uh, "Take this, I don't know, five thousand naira, and go buy granite." And I felt I couldn't get with these new guys since they have re- reduced them to a, a smaller number. There'll be a lot of people trying to get on them. And then another thing, the I think the, the NCC too. I think they were they, they were getting complaints from um, people with mobile devices that uh, they, they kept they keep getting alerts to dial um, one two three for five days of preaching to you on your phone. Blah blah blah. Probably not at some point you just stop getting those um, notifications. They're back now. I serious. I don't I don't get them anymore. I get I get some silly messages from the. Company knows itself. It's just ridiculous from, the amount of text from messages. The, um, network yeah, from network services. Okay, just, I mean, my my point is that the yeah. company itself is now doing what the value added services were were stripped off. So it's, I'm not really sure if they achieved their goals. Um, so when that happened, were you tempted to go back to Noah's Ark, or you just said I'm just going to keep on pushing? At the same time, I was doing stuff freelance for advertising agencies, including Noah's Ark, and I had free time to do. I was still, I'm still doing my crasher strips, but I'm not posting as much as I used to. So because of the free time and free time to do my own things, I decided not to go back. Okay. Now, you are currently working full-time as an illustrator. You freelance for people, but you also do your own thing. How would you describe a typical day? Is there even a typical day for you? Uh, each day is different. But usually I start a day with... Uh, I do loose sketches on my sketchpad in ink. Uh, somebody told me at some point that drawing in ink makes you more confident with your lines and then it makes you make make decisions faster because you've drawn it, you can't erase it, move on. So it makes your work progress faster. I do that for like 30 minutes to an hour. And it depends on what exactly I'm working on. If I'm working on something like um, a children's book, I read through the material. Each children's book is different. When I re- read through the material, I make loose sketches of the way I think the characters should look. And then when I finalize one, I send it to the publisher or the writer for them to choose or make um, revisions. When the revisions are made, I take them back, then I flesh them out, I make I color them, and then I read through the material again. But this time I'm reading to get the moment I'm going to draw. I arrange the text on um, pages of what I'm going to draw on so that my my drawings don't overlap the sketches. I make the, over, overlap the text rather. I make the um, text a little bigger than they will appear when printed so that there's enough room to wiggle around. And then okay. I, do, I do a little sketch of the whole page, of, of the whole book, send it to the publisher or the, or the writer get feedback, make corrections, then color it. That's, mm, that's for, it. for children's books. I also do storyboards, and that's a different process. Those ones are usually with directors, um, TV commercials. So if I'm working directly with the director, directly with the director, <laughs> the, the drawings don't have to be fine-tuned, so I can, I can get away with loose sketches as long as it is clear what the information in the um, scene is. All right, so you talked about the fact that you 
illustrate children's books and you have illustrated lots of educational and entertainment books for lots of well-known publishers in Nigeria. How do you go about finding clients? Yeah, um, my first um, book, the first book I ever uh, illustrated, a client found me through my website and they found it and they said they want that style for their book. That's how I got my first client. Then clients after that were either referrals or people who found me on um, social media. So would you say that the process of getting clients has become easier in a way because of the wealth of experience and because of the network that you've been able to build? Yes, I'll say that. Yeah, I agree 100%. Okay, that's cool. If a client reaches out to you that, Kyode, we want you to illustrate this book, how does the conversation progress? Do they offer you a contract? If they give you a contract, do you have a lawyer who reads that for you? How do you go about deciding on the amounts you charge for your services? Okay, I have a fixed amount per page, depending on what style I'm using. Uh, we spoke earlier about styles. Uh, and I said my styles vary from cartoony to slightly cartoony. Also, the the style is the same, but the... I don't know what word to use, but drawing something and painting something are two different skills. Uh, some people can draw and paint, and then some people can just draw and then some people can just paint. I can do both. So sometimes I just draw ink and then add color to it. And then some works I just paint directly. The works I take I paint directly take longer and so I charge more for those. While the ones I draw ink and paint uh, take a shorter period and cheaper to do, cheaper to produce. So um, when I'm meeting a client for the first time and we're trying to negotiate. I try to find out what kind of book it is, what age um, category they are aimed at, um, what their budget is, so I know whether to give them an expensive style or a formal style. <laughs> Affordable should be nicer. <laughs> okay, give them, uh, so I know whether to give them a affordable style or a more robust style. We go from there. Sometimes I have contracts and contracts usually include NDAs, but once I've been working with a client for a long time, the, the first contract is usually what we just work with. We don't, we don't update it. But the thing about contracts is, like I have an NDA of a job I did 10 years ago, and part of the stipulations were I cannot add it to my portfolio or show anybody that I did it until six months after they publish. It's been over 10 years now, they've not published. And I think that, that was the first time I used a particular style, first and last time I used a particular style and I've not had an opportunity to use that style again. So nobody knows that I can do that. So, wow, so the contract also covers your style? I know it doesn't cover the style, but I haven't found a client that wants that style. Something so, like that. And they still haven't published, what's holding them back? I don't know, I think maybe they give up or something. <laughs> wow, okay. One thing I saw online, I think that even I think I saw you retweet that was talking about burnout, and you said that burnout is common among <clears throat> excuse me, it's common among illustrators. Why is that the case? Me personally, the nature of um, my work is I can work without recognizing which day is a weekday and which day is a weekend. I can just keep working. Working like that is is not healthy. I found it's not healthy. So you have to allocate when you're going to work when you're going to rest because if you keep walking 
at some point you're gonna, gonna have burnout. Sometimes burnout doesn't come out how you assume it's gonna come out. You think, okay, I've worked on this, let me move on to this next project. And you start the next project, you draw, and it's just not gelling. It's just, you're drawing, you're wasting days and days on something that normally takes you a few hours because there's something missing. It's Desperation isn't there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've made it, I've made drawing become a factory produce something that there's no, there's no soul in it anymore. So you're just, just producing. Just, just kills it. Yeah, yeah. And kind of speaking about the factory mindset that a lot of companies try to make illustrators have, what do you think about the changes that we're seeing in workplaces, particularly with Gen Z, who are letting their employers know that they didn't come to this life to suffer. They didn't come to this life to be, you know, come and be <laughs> sleeping at the office morning, noon, and night. So as a creative who used to work in um, an advertising agency, advertising agencies generally are notorious for super, super long hours, high stress. But you see Gen Zs now, and even some millennials who are saying that, see, yeah, even, even the flexibility of working from home, you see a lot of people now are telling organizations that or companies that you know if you want to have the best employees you need to bake in some flexibility into your work schedule for these people so as a as a person who used to work in that kind of environment what do you think about the changes that are, are happening whether slowly or quickly that's one of the things i'm thankful for covid for it made employers see that you don't have to come to work to actually be productive while i was still working in advertising i actually had a meeting with um, hr and I suggested that, okay, at, at that period, a lot of my co-workers were becoming new, new fathers. So I made a um, suggestion that since these guys are not having, okay, at that period, they were giving them like one week to bond with their child. I was like, one week is not enough that, apart from that one week, they should give them a, the option of some days they can work from home, some days they can work from the office. And they were like, ah, nobody can work from home, blah, blah, blah. It's not possible. Blah, blah. And then a few years later, COVID hit and everybody worked from home. And they found out that, I'm still in touch with people from advertising, and they found out that people are actually more productive when they work from home than when they were in the office. I don't know, maybe they are, they are starting work earlier, finishing work late, I don't know, but yeah. they are more productive. Yeah, because they're not stuck in traffic one. Yeah, exactly. You're, you, you're, you're, yeah, you're able to allocate time to do what it is that you need to do. The person, that, the HR person you were speaking to, was it a lady or a man? It was a lady. One week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My God. It's a leadership vacuum in this country. <laughs> but um, I wanted to also kind of talk about something that you had shared on Twitter. You talked about the fact that you had tweeted that, and I quote, they said humor, this humor that I, the humor in the cartoon that I have is too cerebral for their boards and that Nigerian masses won't get it. And your tweet was, for people listening, you were referring to work that you had done and the client said that it was too, quote and unquote, cerebral for Nigerians to understand, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, was that, was that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, with your experience, both in the advertising industry and now working on your own, my question is, does it seem that Nigerian brands sometimes don't understand the, they don't understand their customers? Because for that comment to, to happen or to be said, to me, it doesn't make sense. The average Nigerian is, quote unquote, well read, and they're not insular in what they consume. They consume different types of, of stuff. So how does that make you feel when you, 
hear brands or companies say these types of things when it comes to creative work? Um, the creative in, in, in uh, I talked about was a Christmas um, poster I did where I had one of my characters, Rissy, chase Santa Claus. And then Santa said, um, okay, she was chasing him with both a mortar, was it pistol, a pistol and a frying pan with the intention of causing him bodily harm. And Santa says, that is how I laugh. The guy I sent it to said he didn't understand it. And I asked him how Santa laughed. And we all know how Santa Ho, 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 ho. Exactly. And that sounds like a derogatory word. And that's why she was chasing him. And he said he understood it, but that the people out there won't understand. And I was like, if he understands it, and he showed one or two people, and they understood it, what makes him think the people out there will not understand him? Understand? Has he spoken to the people out there? And he didn't have any of that. I was like, okay, if they don't even get that, the message above it says, Merry Christmas. At least put it out because of that. It said, no, that, uh, no, that people will understand it's too cerebral, blah, blah, blah. So the audience, was the, was the audience the average Nigerian person or was it a specific demography? Uh, well, what demographic? Um, the place where it was going to run were shopping malls. So it was people who visit shopping malls. Which is, and it was going to be in front of the cinemas and um, entrances. And that is where a lot of Gen Z and millennials hang out. And I was like, that's your core audience. They're going to get it. But, but, but then again, it, uh, as a consumer... Why do some brands think that automatically you're supposed to get something quickly? That why why don't they bake in? Why, why why don't they allow room for? If I see something and I'm asking my friend like, what is that? What do you think that is? And the friend says, oh like, oh I get it now. Like why does why do they think that getting a joke has to be automatic as opposed to the fact that maybe it can take someone five seconds to actually get what what it is you're trying to say, but they would eventually get it. You get my point. I can't speak for them, but that's the situation we are we are fighting today. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like everything. We feel like everything. We have to be spoon fed, like I, which is why we see the. Yeah, way. yeah, and worst part, the worst thing is okay. I walked the side. Worst thing is when you f- spoon feed people. People don't really talk about the brand. Is this is my product? Buy it. That's that's the end of the ad. But if you tell the story behind it, um, have you seen the recent Airtel ads where it's they talk about data, but they don't say it's data we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. It, it's, it's it's a story. Yeah, it's a story. It's somebody somebody made soup. And then as the days go by, the, uh, the soup is finishing, so she's adding water. At some point, it's so small that she has to pour the rice into the soup and make jollof rice. And then at the end of the day, you find out it's not actually food they're talking about, it's data. And you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Not, we have data, we buy data. People talk more about the um, how that ad made them feel. Yeah, it's, inter- it's very interesting the way the difference in the way Nigerian brands approach advertising compared to outside the country. Like, I don't know if you had the chance to watch some of the Super Bowl ads. And one of the ones that people just fell in love with was one by a brand. I can't remember. I, can't, I cannot remember the name right now, but it was about a dog. And the dog grew up with the girl when she was young and the dog grew older the girl grew older the girl went to her house the dog was there the girl had her baby the dog was there and then eventually we saw the dog getting older and at the end 
the company talks about, I think it's about dog food, that their company that caters for. So they didn't outrightly say that buy our dog food. They turn and tell you that if you give your dog our food, the dog will be there with you throughout because we provide, you know, we sell high end, maybe not high end, but we sell quality food that your dog will be able to have a healthy life, blah, blah, blah. And it was such a moving story, you know. But I find a lot of times in Nigeria, like you said, it's like, buy this. I'm like, let me experience the story behind the brand and behind what it is you're trying to tell me, you know? Thing with, um, from the brand perspective, I think they, they think more, people react, uh, I'm going to use the word like cerebral, cerebrally to their product rather than emotionally. And it's emotion that actually makes you buy stuff and then you say, you try to justify it cerebrally. Yeah, it's such, because when I saw that ad, I was like, oh, I mean, I've always loved dogs. I was like, not only do I now want to have a dog, I want to buy their food because this, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it was just like, they, you know, so spot on, you know, but I don't know. I feel like I just, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because when I saw that tweet, I was like, oh, I, I need to ask him about that because it's something that I've also observed when you see like, I mean, I used, to, I used to work at an ad agency as well. And that was an issue that they also had with some of the brands. Like you don't, why do you think that people will not get the story? Now, you, you had talked earlier about when you actually decided to pursue illustration you wanted to go into animation initially looking at how the animation industry in nigeria has grown and continues to grow um, how pleased are you with that i'm actually very pleased uh, i've seen a lot number of um companies coming up uh, like uh, spoof animation um there are some the guys that did the dawn of thunder they did a trailer for it and well, i'm still waiting for the full movie but trailer was dope there's uh, Magic Carpet Studios, all those guys doing fantastic stuff. I think the only thing limiting them is funding. I can't speak directly for it, but that's what it looks like from the outside. No, yeah, I spoke to an uh, animator last year, and that was another issue that he also highlighted, the issue of funding. It's, we have the talent, we have all these different things, but funding is such a, a challenge. Now, as we come to begin to wrap up the conversation, you had talked about your website, your comic strip, Crasher. Yeah. Can you just talk briefly about that? Crasher is a cartoon strip about a guy, a slacker in school. It's loosely based on my life as an architecture student. The main guy is Kokoro who is a slacker. His roommate's name is Benedict, a law student. He has a couple of classmates, Risi and Akaji. Kokoro has a crush on, on Risi, but she, and she knows, but she doesn't care about him. Akaji has a crush on Kokoro, but he doesn't know about it. And then they have a friend, Rukewe, who may or may not be a student, but he sees the campus ground as a fine opportunity to do business because he has a whole lot of customers. And then they, they have the lecturer, Prof. I didn't give him a professor or anything, just prof. And everything takes place in an exaggerated form of my, my um, school. Where are you? Now, are there any other types of creative endeavors that you're looking to get into this year? Because when, before we had started, you had made the distinction or clarification that you're not an animator. And for someone who wanted to become an animator before he decided to go with illustration. Is animation something that you want to probably look into this year and maybe the next couple of years? Yeah, yeah. Recent times I've been taking classes in animation online. Uh, this is called um, Project City. I actually have teachers that work in animation or have worked in animation teaching you. So I've been taking classes in storyboarding for animation and um, directing for animation. So hopefully, as time goes on, I'll actually storyboard and animate and direct an animation in the near future 
That's awesome. Looking forward to that for you. Now let's go on to the fun random questions. Are you ready? <laughs> Don't worry, it's cool, it's cool. Okay. So my first question is which illustrator has inspired you the most? Uh like I said, I, I varying styles. So for each style I'll try to name at least one illustrator. So uh I have a style that's is semi cartoony which lends itself to comics so i'll say jim lee and joe maduera and then for my very cartoony style i lo- i love calvin and hobbs by bill watterson those guys inspire me and in animation uh well, i like the copland brothers um justin and chris copland and uh saint cheese uh cheese conley he worked on black dynamite while he was still running on air Second question is pick one of the following cartoons. You can only pick one. Scooby Doo, Rugrats, The Simpsons or The Flintstones. There is okay, The Flintstones because I feel it made the foundation for The Simpsons. I know The Simpsons is an offshoot from the Mary Tyler Moore show, but the family dynamic from The Flintstones can be seen in The Simpsons. So the the Flintstones, yeah. Third question is what is one misconception people have about illustrators? Uh, yeah, well some people don't know what illustration is. They assume illustration and animation are the same thing. And some people have the reverse whatever they think animation and so uh yeah, that that's a misconception. Illustrators draw, animators make the drawings move. That's good. I like that. Fourth question is what was the last book you read? Mm. Last book I read was a comic book The Authority by Mark Miller and Warren Warren Ellis? No 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 Warren Ellis. Can't remember uh, Brian Hitch. Um Mark Miller and Brian Hitch The Authority. It's not for kids. <laughs> it's not for kids. Okay. Final 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 question. What are two things that people might not know about you? Oh, I like grow my beard out. But I think that's obvious. Uh, right now I don't have the beard I I normally have. I, I had to cut it because I had an interview with people I was going I was going with were scared that I might lose the contract. <laughs> my so, god. So, uh okay, well, that's something people already know. So let me, let me think of two other things. Uh oh yeah, I I learned to swim recently so I can swim. Oh, and I I can't stand sports. <laughs> any any form of sports. I I can't watch I can't watch sports. It's is draining to me. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Now, as we've come to a close, what advice do you have for people who are looking to become illustrators on the African continent? Uh, learn wherever you can learn, whether it's online. If you can get a mentor, that would be great, but if you can't, there are millions and millions of sources online. And start with the fundamentals. Don't try to copy somebody else's style. Start with uh, basic anatomy, fundamentals, uh, head shoulders, all those, all that stuff. And then learn perspective and composition. Okay, great. And for people who want to keep up with the work that you're doing or want to know more about your work, how can they do that? Currently, I'm working on a personal project. Uh, if you're familiar with the series Twilight, I'm reimagining them as uh, superhero characters. So I'm, I'm using that to build my animation, my storyboarding in animation portfolio. So you can check that out on my social media um croplex on twitter k r o p l e x and on instagram um cro_creative k r o_creative normal spelling of creative 
Thank you so much for your time, Coyote. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Coyote Onimole for his time. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps the podcast get discovered by more people. Thank you so much. This episode is produced and edited by Folashade Anosie. Our theme song is by John Akinola. The show is powered by Nonconform Productions. You can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the SNC Podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>